Section 19 of Holiday at Roselands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Martin. Holidays at Roselands by Martha Finley. Chapter 13, Part 2. It was a long, deep sleep, for she was quite worn out by the excitement of the morning. The dinner hour had passed, and still she slumbered on, and he began to grow uneasy. He was leaning over her, with his finger on her slender wrist, watching her breathing and counting her pulse, when she opened her eyes, and looking up lovingly into his face, said, "'Dear Papa, I feel so much better.' "'I am very glad, daughter,' he replied. "'You have had a long sleep. And now I will take you on my knee, and Aunt Chloe will bring up your dinner. Elsie's appetite was poor, and her father spared neither trouble nor expense in procuring for her every dainty that could be thought of which was at all suited to her state of health, and he was delighted when he could tempt her to eat with tolerable heartiness. She seemed to enjoy her dinner, and he watched her with intense pleasure. "'Can I see Laura now, Papa?' she asked, when Chloe had removed the dishes. "'Yes,' he said. "'Aunt Chloe, you may tell Miss Laura that we are ready to receive her now.' Laura came in, quite gay and full of spirits, but when she caught sight of Elsie, lying so pale and languid in her father's arms, she had hard work to keep from bursting into tears, and could scarcely command her voice to speak. "'Dear Laura, I'm so glad to see you,' said the little girl, holding out her small, thin hand. Laura took it and kissed it, saying in a tremulous tone, "'How ill you look!' Elsie held up her face, and Laura stooped and kissed her lips. Then, bursting into tears and sobs, she ran out of the room. "'Oh, Adelaide!' she cried, rushing into her sister's room. How she has changed! I should never have known her. Oh, do you think she can ever get well? If you had seen her two or three weeks ago, you would be quite encouraged by her appearance now, replied her sister. The doctor considers her out of danger now, though he says she must have careful nursing, and that, I assure you, she gets from her father. He seems to feel that he can never do enough for her, and won't let me share the labor at all although I would often be very glad to do it. He ought to do all he can for her. He would be a brute if he didn't, for it was all his doing, her being so ill, exclaimed Laura indignantly. No, no, I ought not to say that, she added, correcting herself immediately, for we were all unkind to her, I as well as the rest. Oh, Adelaide, what a bitter thought that was to me when I heard she was dying. I never realized before how lovely and how very different from all the rest of us she was. Yes, poor darling, she has had a hard life amongst us, replied Adelaide, sighing while the tears rose to her eyes. You can never know, Laura, what an agonizing thought it was at the moment when I believed that she had left us forever. I would have given worlds to have been able to live the last six years over again. But Horrence, oh, Laura, I don't believe there was a more wretched being on the face of the earth than he. I was very angry with him at first, but when I saw how utterly crushed and heartbroken he was, I couldn't say one word. Adelaide was crying now in good earnest, as well as Laura. 
Presently Laura asked for a full account of Elsie's illness, which Adelaide was beginning to give, when a servant came to say that Elsie wanted to see her. So, with a promise to Laura to finish her story another time, she hastened to obey the summons. She found the little girl lying languidly in her father's arms. "'Dear Aunt Adelaide,' she said, "'I wanted to see you. You haven't been in today to look at your little patient.' Adelaide smiled and patted her cheek. "'Yes, my dear,' she said, "'I have been in twice, but found you sleeping both times, and your father keeping guard over you like a tiger watching his cub.' "'No, no, Aunt Adelaide, Papa isn't a bit like a tiger,' said Elsie, passing her small white hand caressingly over his face. "'You mustn't say that.' "'I don't know,' replied Adelaide, laughing and shaking her head. "'I think anybody who should be daring enough to disturb your slumbers would find there was considerable of the tiger in him.' Elsie looked up into her father's face, as if expecting him to deny the charge. "'Never mind,' said he, smiling. Aunt Adelaide is only trying to tease us a little. A servant came in and whispered something to Adelaide. Mr. and Mrs. Travilla, she said, turning to her brother, is Elsie able to see them? Oh, yes, Papa, please, begged the little girl in a coaxing tone. Well, then, for a few moments, I supposed, he answered rather doubtfully, and Adelaide went down and brought them up. Elsie was very glad to see them, but seeing that she looked weak and weary, they did not stay long, but soon took an affectionate leave of her, expressing the hope that it would not be many weeks before she would be able to pay a visit to Ion. Her father promised to take her to spend a day there as soon as she was well enough, and then they went away. Elsie's strength returned very slowly, and she had many trying hours of weakness and nervous prostration to endure. She was almost always very patient, but on a few rare occasions, when suffering was more than usual, there was a slight peevishness in her tone. Once it was to her father she was speaking, and the instant she had done so, she looked up at him with eyes brimful of tears, expecting a stern rebuke, or, at the very least, a look of great displeasure. But he did not seem to have heard her and only busied himself in trying to make her more comfortable. And when she seemed to feel easier again, he kissed her tenderly, saying softly, My poor little one, Papa knows she suffers a great deal and feels very sorry for her. Are you better now, dearest? Yes, Papa, thank you, she answered, the tears coming into her eyes again. I don't know what makes me so cross. You are very good not to scold me. I think my little girl is very patient, he said, caressing her again, and if she were not, I couldn't have the heart to scold her after all she has suffered. Shall I sing to you now? Yes, Papa, please sing, I want to be like Jesus. Oh, I do want to be like him, and then I should never even feel impatient. He did as she requested, singing in a low, soothing voice that soon lulled her to sleep. He was an indefatigable nurse, never weary, never in the least impatient, and nothing that skill and kindness could do for the comfort and recovery of his little daughter was left undone. He carried her in his arms from room to room, and then, as she grew stronger, down into the garden. Then he sent for a garden chair, in which he drew her about the gardens with his own hands, or if he called a servant to do it, he walked by her side, doing all he could to amuse her, 
and when she was ready to be carried indoors again, no one was allowed to touch her but himself. At last she was able to take short and easy rides in the carriage, not more than a quarter of a mile at first, for he was very much afraid of trying her strength too far, but gradually they were lengthened, as she seemed able to bear it. One day he was unusually eager to get into the carriage, and after they had started, instead of calling her attention to the scenery, as he often did, he began relating a story which interested her so much that she did not notice in what direction they were traveling until the carriage stopped. The footman threw open the door, and her father, breaking off in the middle of a sentence, sprang out hastily, lifted her in his arms, and carried her into the house. She did not know where she was until he had laid her on a sofa, and giving her a rapturous kiss, exclaimed, "'Welcome home, my darling. Welcome to your father's house.' Then she looked up and saw that she was indeed in the dear home he had prepared for her months before. She was too glad to speak a word, or do anything but gaze about her with eyes brimming over with delight, while her father took off her bonnet and shawl, and setting her on her feet, led her across the room to an easy-chair, where he seated her in state. He then threw open a door, and there was another pleasant surprise, for who but her old friend Mrs. Murray should rush in and take her in her arms, kissing her and crying over her. "'Dear, dear bairn,' she exclaimed, "'you are looking pale and ill, but it does my old heart good to see winsome wee face once more. I hope it will soon grow as round and rosy as ever, now that you've won to your ain home at last.' "'But where, darling, are all your bonny curls?' she asked suddenly. "'In the drawer in my room at Grandpa's,' replied the little girl with a faint smile. "'They had to be cut off when I was so sick.' "'You were not vexed, Papa?' she asked, raising her eyes timidly to his face. "'No, darling, not vexed, certainly, though very sorry indeed that it was necessary,' he said in a kind, gentle tone, passing his hand caressingly over her head. "'Ah, well,' remarked Mrs. Murray cheerfully, "'we went afraid about it. It will soon grow again, and these little soft rings of hair are very pretty, too.' "'I thought you were in Scotland, Mrs. Murray. When did you come back?' asked the little girl. "'I came to this place only yesterday, darling, but it is about a week since I landed in America.' "'I am so glad to see you, dear Mrs. Murray,' Elsie said, holding fast to her hand and looking lovingly into her face. "'I haven't forgotten any of the good things you taught me.' Then, turning to her father, she said very earnestly, "'Papa, you won't need now to have me grow up for a long while, because Mrs. Murray is such an excellent housekeeper.' He smiled and patted her cheek, saying pleasantly, "'No, dear, I shall keep you a little girl as long as ever I can,' and give Mrs. Murray plenty of time to make a good housekeeper of you. "'At what hour will you have dinner, sir?' asked the old lady, turning to leave the room. "'At one, if you please,' he said, looking at his watch. "'I want Elsie to eat with me, and it must be early on her account.' Elsie's little face was quite bright with pleasure. "'I am so glad, Papa,' she said. "'It will be very delightful to dine together in our own house. "'May I always dine with you?' "'I hope so,' he said, smiling. "'I am not fond of eating alone.' They were in Mr. Dinsmore's study, into which Elsie's own little sitting-room opened. "'Do you feel equal to a walk through your rooms, daughter, or shall I carry you?' he asked, bending over. "'I think I will try to walk, Papa, if you please,' she said, putting her hand in his. 
He led her slowly forward, but her steps seemed tottering, and he passed his arm around her waist and supported her to the sofa in her own pretty little boudoir. Although it was now quite late in the fall, the weather was still warm and pleasant in that southern clime. Flowers were blooming in the gardens, and doors and windows stood wide open. Elsie glanced out of the window, and then around the room. "'What a lovely place it is,' she said, "'and everything in this dear little room is so complete, so very pretty. Dear Papa, you are very, very kind to me. I will have to be a very good girl to deserve it all.' "'Does it please you, darling?' I am very glad, he said, drawing her closer to him. I have tried to think of everything that would be useful to you, or give you pleasure. But if there is anything else you want, just tell me what it is, and you shall have it. Indeed, Papa, she said, smiling at him, I could never have thought of half the pretty things that are here already, and I don't believe there is anything else I could possibly want. Ah, Papa, how happy I am today, so very much happier than when I was here before. Then I thought I should never be happy again in this world. There's your picture. I cried very much when I looked at it that day, but it does not make me feel like crying now, and I am so glad to have it. Thank you a thousand times for giving it to me. You are very welcome, darling. You deserve it all and more than all, replied her father tenderly. And now he asked, will you look at the other rooms, or are you too tired? "'I want to try the piano first, if you please, Papa,' she said. "'It is so long since I touched one.' He opened the instrument, and then picked her up and seated her on the stool, saying, "'I am afraid you will find yourself hardly equal to the exertion, but you may try.' She began a little piece which always had been a favorite of his. He standing beside her and supporting her with his arm, but it seemed hard work. The tiny hands trembled so with weakness, and he would not let her finish. "'You must wait until another day, dearest,' he said, taking her in his arms. "'You are not strong enough yet, and I think I will have to carry you through the other rooms, if you are to see them at all. Shall I?' She assented, laying her head down languidly on his shoulder, and had very little to say as he bore her along through the dressing-room and into the bedroom beyond. The bed looked very inviting with its snowy drapery, and he laid her gently down upon it, saying, "'You are too much fatigued to attempt anything more, and must take a nap now, my pet, to recruit yourself a little before dinner.' "'Don't leave me, Papa, please don't!' she exclaimed, half staring up as he turned toward the door. "'No, dearest,' he said, "'I'm only going to get your shawl to lay over you, and we'll be back again in a moment.' He returned almost immediately, but found her already fast asleep. "'Poor darling, she is quite worn out,' he murmured, as he spread the shawl carefully over her. Then, taking a book from his pocket, he sat down by her side and read until she awoke. It was the sound of the dinner-bell which had roused her, and as she sat up looking quite bright and cheerful again, he asked if she thought she could eat some dinner, and would like to be taken to the dining-room. She assented, and he carried her there, seated her in an easy-chair, wheeled it up to the table, and then sat down opposite to her, looking supremely happy. The servants were about to uncover the dishes, but motioning them to wait a moment, Mr. Dinsmore bowed his head over his plate and asked a blessing on their food. It sent a glow of happiness to Elsie's little pale face, and she loved and respected her father more than ever. She seemed to enjoy her dinner, and he watched her with a pleased look. 
"'The change of air has done you good already, I think,' he remarked. "'You seem to have a better appetite than you have had since your sickness.' "'Yes, Papa, I believe everything tastes good because it's home,' she answered, smiling lovingly up at him. After dinner he held her on his knee a while, chatting pleasantly with her about their plans for the future, and then, laying her on the sofa in her pretty boudoir, he brought a book from the library and read to her. It was a very interesting story he had chosen, and he had been reading for more than an hour, when, happening to look at her, he noticed that her eyes were very bright and her cheeks flushed as if with fever. He suddenly closed the book and laid his finger on her pulse. "'Oh, Papa, please go on,' she begged. "'I am so much interested.' "'No, daughter, your pulse is very quick, "'and I fear this book is entirely too exciting for you at present, "'so I shall not read any more of it to-day,' he said, laying it aside. "'Oh, Papa, I want to hear it so much. "'Do please read a little more, or else let me have the book myself,' "'she pleaded in a coaxing tone. "'My little daughter must not forget old lessons,' he replied very gravely. She turned away her head, with almost a pout on her lip, and her eyes full of tears. He did not reprove her, though, as he once would have done, but seeming not to notice her ill-humor, exerted himself to soothe and amuse her, by talking in a cheerful strain of other matters, and in a very few moments all traces of it had disappeared, and she was answering him in her usual pleasant tone. They had both been silent for several minutes, when she said, "'Please, Papa, put your head close down to me. I want to say something to you.' He complied, and putting her little arm around his neck, she said in a very humble tone, "'Dear Papa, I was very naughty and cross just now, and I think I have been cross several times lately, and you have been so good and kind not to reprove or punish me as I deserved. Please, Papa, forgive me. I am very sorry, and I will try to be a better girl.' He kissed her very tenderly. "'I do forgive you freely, my little one,' he said. "'I know it seemed hard to give up the story just there, "'but it was for your good, "'and you must try always to believe that Papa knows best. "'You are very precious to your father's heart, Elsie, "'but I am not going to spoil my little girl "'because I love her so dearly, "'nor because I have been so near losing her.' His voice trembled as he pronounced the last words, and for a moment emotion kept him silent. Then he went on again. I shall never again bid you do violence to your conscience, my daughter, but to all the commands which I do lay upon you I shall still expect and require the same ready and cheerful obedience that I have heretofore. It is my duty to require and yours to yield it. Yes, Papa, I know it is, she said with a little sigh, but it is very difficult sometimes to keep from wanting to have my own way. Yes, darling, I know it for I find it so with myself, replied her father gently, but we must ask God to help us to give up our own wills, and be satisfied to do and have what we ought, rather than what we would like. I will, Papa, she whispered, hugging him tighter and tighter. I am so glad you teach me that. They were quite quiet again for a little while. She was running her fingers through his hair. Oh, Papa, she exclaimed, I see two or three white hairs. I am so sorry. I don't want you to get old. What made those come so soon, Papa? He did not reply immediately, but taking her in his arms, held her close to his heart. It was beating very fast. Suddenly she seemed to comprehend. 
"'Was it because you were afraid I was going to die, Papa?' she asked. "'Yes, dearest, and because I had reason to think that my own cruelty had killed you.' The words were almost inaudible, but she heard them. "'Dear, dear Papa, how I love you,' she said, putting her arms around his neck again, "'and I am so glad for your sake that I did not die.' He pressed her closer and closer, caressing her silently with a heart too full for words. They sat thus for some time, but were at length interrupted by the entrance of Chloe, who had been left behind at Roselands to attend to the packing and removal of Elsie's clothes, and all her little possessions. She had finished her work, and her entrance was immediately followed by that of the men-servants, bearing several large trunks and boxes, the contents of which she proceeded at once to unpack and rearrange in the new apartments. Elsie watched this operation with a good deal of interest, occasionally directing where this or that article should be put, but in the midst of it all was carried off by her father to the tea-table. Soon after tea the servants were all called together, and Mr. Dinsmore, after addressing a few words to them on the importance of calling upon God, the blessings promised to those who did, and the curses pronounced upon those individuals and families who did not, read a chapter from the Bible and offered up a prayer. All were solemn and attentive, and all seemed pleased with the arrangement, for Mr. Dinsmore had told them it was to be the regular custom of the house, morning and evening. But Elsie, Mrs. Murray, and Chloe fairly wept for joy and thankfulness. Elsie begged for another chapter and prayer in the privacy of her own rooms, and then Chloe undressed her, and her father carried her to her bed and placed her in it with a loving good-night kiss. And thus ended the first happy day in her own dear home. End of chapter 13, part 2, recording by Joyce Martin.